has the world agreed on deep sea mining standards? And how does Brazil's Amazon deforestation look since Lula took office? It's time for this week's climate recap. Hit the subscribe button below if you want to stay updated on the climate crisis and clean energy transition. Okay, we gotta talk about this wacky weather first. It's hot in most of the U.S. right now. Phoenix, Arizona is one of the worst hit places, reaching 110 degrees Fahrenheit or 43.3 degrees Celsius for 20 consecutive days. Death Valley in Central California reached 133 degrees Fahrenheit or 56 degrees Celsius on Monday. And the California wildfire season has started off in the southern part of the state. On the East Coast, Florida's humidity is off the hook due to the waters off Florida's coast being in the 90s, like hot tub temperatures. The heat index in Miami reached 100 degrees or higher for a record 38 consecutive days. Energy grids around the country are strained, and in some places like Arizona, if the power goes out, people will die. While this is happening, Canada's wildfires are continuing to smoke the northern U.S., and northeastern U.S. is flooding. 13 million people were under flood watches and warnings in Vermont and New York last week, prompting emergency rescues. Vermont called it the worst flooding in the state since Hurricane Irene in 2011. Meanwhile, New York saw 5 inches or 13 centimeters of rain drop in just two hours, which the state already estimates will cost it $50 million in damage. This week, parts of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Connecticut are experiencing deadly flooding too. As a reminder, climate change intensifies the water cycle because warmer air holds more moisture. That means more rain to drop during a storm, overwhelming infrastructure. More moisture also means more humidity, which makes the heat waves I mentioned earlier more deadly. The U.S. isn't the only place experiencing flooding and heat waves. On the flooding side, parts of China, South Korea, Japan, and India are underwater. Here are some quick stats. A northeastern province of China saw 3.3 inches or 84 millimeters of rainfall in an hour. South Korea's flood death toll has reached at least 40 after 13 people drowned in a flooded tunnel. Four Japanese islands saw heavy rainfall, with some areas hitting new records. And the Yamuna River in India reached such high levels, 680 feet, that it switched its path back to where it used to flow, reaching the Taj Mahal's outer walls. For all these Asian countries, it is monsoon season, but the amount of rain dropping in such short spans of time is not what the season used to look like. Agriculture operations in all of the extreme weather event locations I mentioned have basically been decimated. While all this is happening, other parts of China and European countries like Spain, Greece, and Italy are experiencing major heat waves. One world Chinese town reached 126 degrees Fahrenheit or 52 degrees Celsius on Sunday. The Spanish island La Palma is battling a wildfire that burned 5,000 hectares, forcing the evacuation of 4,000 people. Did I miss any other extreme weather events? Let me know what you're experiencing in the comments below. I hope everyone is staying safe, dry, and cool. The international community has not come to a conclusion about deep sea mineral extraction. Sounds like non-news, you might be thinking, so why am I talking about it? Well, even though the International Seabed Authority, or ISA, failed to reach a decision by the July 9th deadline, it will still now have to consider mining bids based on whatever existing draft is available. Right now, the small island nation Nauru is the main country looking to extract minerals important for the clean energy transition from the deep, but it hasn't officially sent a bid to the ISA yet. Actually, it's really the Nauru Ocean Resources Company, which is a Canadian company. Ironic, because Canada has recently spoken out against deep sea mining in international waters, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's back it up a bit. What is the ISA, and what are the factors the ISA needs to consider when it comes to deep sea mining? 
The ISA is an international group made up of 167 member nations and the European Union. The U.S. is actually not a member, but it sends representatives from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the Interior Department, and the State Department to ISA meetings anyways. The ISA also has a secondary body with more than 40 scientific, legal, and environmental experts called the Legal and Technical Commission, or LTC. When it comes to deep-sea mining operations, there's a lot to consider. Firstly, we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the deep ocean. We don't fully understand how those ecosystems down there are connected to the systems further up that our economies and populations rely on for oxygen, food, protection, medicine, tourism, etc. What we do know is that these mining operations could cause a ton of sediment disruption, which could kill off life around the sites. Mining is also very loud, disrupting communication for marine mammals that rely on echolocation. The minerals collected are also radioactive, so they could be dangerous for humans. And that's just what we know. So we'd be potentially causing all of this harm for minerals we might not even need based on land-based deposits available, especially if countries develop robust recycling systems. Because of all this, Chile, France, Palau, and Vanuatu have penned a letter to the ISA to have all mining applications banned until its rules are completed. Overall, 15 countries, including Canada, Fiji, and Switzerland, have called for no deep-sea mining in international waters at all. Last week, Democratic Representative Ed Case of Hawaii introduced the American Seabed Protection Act to impose a moratorium on deep-sea mining by American companies and require government agencies to study environmental impacts. Most environmental scientists and activists are also against deep-sea mining. So is anyone for these operations? Unsurprisingly, private corporations and China, Russia, Norway, and Nauru. And while I said ISA hasn't approved any extraction permits, it has already approved 31 exploration permits. So that's where we're at with this. The ISA and U.S. representatives are meeting right now in Jamaica to discuss what should be done now that the deadline was missed. The CEO of the Nauru Ocean Resources Company said he plans not to send a bid until plans are finalized. What do you think of deep sea mining? Let me know. If you want to learn more about it, Dave from Just Have a Think did a video on that topic a few weeks ago that I'll link up to in the cards. Prefer to get this news in bite-sized pieces? Follow me on Instagram and TikTok for short videos of climate news. That's The Climate Recap on Instagram and Becosphere on TikTok. All the links will be down in the description below. Now back to the news. The international community recently came to an agreement that shipping emissions should reach net zero at or around 2050. Global shipping, which carries about 90% of commercial goods, accounts for about 3% of global emissions. So this sector must reduce emissions by 30% by 2030 and 80% by 2040. Most rich countries and island nations wanted the plan to be more ambitious than that, but China, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, and a few other countries resisted. Environmental groups say at this rate, the shipping industry will exhaust its emissions allotment by 2032 if the goal is to keep warming at 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming. As a reminder, we're currently at about 1.2 degrees Celsius of warming. In the U.S., the nation's largest trucking companies, including Ford, General Motors, Daimler, and Cummins, and the industry group Truck and Engine Manufacturing Association, agreed to accept California's plan to ban the sale of new diesel big rigs by 2036. By making this deal, the ban avoids any litigation that would have been brought against a formal national mandate. The coalition of companies that agreed call themselves the Clean Truck Partnership, and this partnership has been in the works for the last three months with the California Clean Air Board. Not only will this reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it will also reduce fine particle pollution that causes asthma and other respiratory problems that can lead to premature death. 
This air pollution disproportionately impacts people of color, which have been historically situated next to trucking paths. Trucking companies will now look to electrify their trucking fleets or use hydrogen fuel cell technology. We have two news stories out of Brazil to finish off this week's recap. The first is that Brazil's President Lula met with Colombia's President Petro to pledge to protect the Amazon rainforest, an essential ecosystem to maintain a stable climate. Brazil and Colombia are part of the Amazon Cooperation Treaty Organization, which started in 1978 by Bolivia, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Guyana, Peru, Suriname, and Venezuela. Even though this group has been around for a while, the goal of preserving the Amazon has not always been prioritized or enforced by these countries. This meeting between the two new progressive leaders was meant to move the initiative along faster. Lula and Petro were both elected into office last year, having made fighting climate change and helping the Amazon a big part of their campaign promises. Both want to hold rich countries accountable for funding Amazon preservation. Lula wants to halt illegal deforestation in the Amazon by 2030, which brings me into the next news story. Deforestation in Brazil's Amazon dropped by 34% in the first half of 2023, according to preliminary government data, reaching its lowest point in four years. Granted, it still saw enough forest clear to take up New York City three times over, but this problem is very tricky, with some of Brazil's government rather choosing profits over conservation. Most deforestation is done in the name of cattle ranching. Despite the opposition, Lula has successfully ramped up environmental enforcement, which has likely resulted in this deforestation decline. The true test has now begun, though, as most of the illegally started forest fires used to clear land tends to take place from July to September. We'll have to wait and see what the second half of 2023 looks like. And that was your climate recap for this week. For more news, check out my source list below in the description. If you found this information useful, please like and share this video so more people can see it. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Thank you so much to the people on Patreon who helped support me and my fair baby Rue. A special shout out to the climate confident and courageous David H., Norman Anal, Greg H., Paul B., Phil Plasma, Dan Morton, Nate, Specker, Bree C., Climate Teacher John J., Deanne, Steve, Kevin Morton, and SKP Joe Corsgold. I greatly appreciate your support of $5 or more. If you would like to support the Becosphere, please check out the Patreon and buy me a coffee links in the description below for reoccurring or one-time payments. Bye for now.